Hello, I'm Greg. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about minding your P's and Q's, part three. It's a feedback show with your points and questions. Taking a look at the last time I did this, part two, was a couple of years ago. That's an awfully long time to go without answering some of this feedback. Now, to be fair, I've responded via email to people who've contacted me that way, and I always try to interact on Facebook and on Twitter as those two mediums permit. Facebook allows a different kind of interaction than Twitter does, but I've got a presence in both places, and this is feedback that I've received primarily in three different ways. I'm going to throw in a fourth in just a second. I can be emailed at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com. I also have a presence on Facebook. There's a page for inappropriate conversations listed as a cause. There's also a page for Walk the Earth. I'll get to that at the very end. And on Twitter, for both of those shows, I am at ic underscore greg. It's also possible to leave feedback directly on the website at www.inappropriateconversations.org. I'll get to why I'm throwing in the W's for that, and I'll share a little bit, perhaps, of some of the feedback or some of the actually notes I've left for myself to remind myself to speak to some things from the website at inappropriateconversations.org. The fourth way I've gotten feedback, though, is really where I want to start. I want to kind of deal with this chronologically and not think of it in terms of time, because if I look back from the perspective of years, it's going to call out just how long it's been since I've actually done one of these. Although, to a certain degree, the uh, Inappropriate Conversations 128, Proud to Know You, had a lot of feedback on it, and episode 100 did as well. But this is more about talking about this show in particular, and since I'm going to go back and start kind of start the clock around Christmas of that previous year, I want to look from Minding Your P's and Q's Part 2 being episode 70, to begin the first reference at episode 76, Rudolph the Audio Commentary. That one got feedback in the form of a Christmas card from a friend named Matt. In fact, this is even cooler. It was a Christmas card from my secret Santa on Simply Syndicated. So my Simply Syndicated secret Santa, easy for me to say, sent a nice card and really called out that episode in particular as one that that he enjoyed. It was basically just my one-man show audio commentary to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And although I think it's easy to do you know, relatively good commentary around a classic. I'm going to try it again this year at Christmas time with a show that I would not describe as a classic, but it's not the last Christmas-related uh, audio commentary. In fact, it's not the last Christmas claymation audio commentary. There's another one coming up. The other feedback that I'm not going to read directly from email is uh, episode 81, Singing a Song for Lovers. And I would just call out that that particular Valentine's Day edition in 2012 of reciting kind of responsively with three different voices, voice of the man, voice of the woman, voice of the friends, of uh, the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon was, I think, well-received by all of the people who knew us. So our friends enjoyed it. And I got good feedback from the participants. And that was really... Of all the shows, if I look back more than a year, that first year since the last time I did commentary, 
that is the one that holds a really special place for me. And in part, it holds a special place for me because of the participation that I got from others. It was a great example of an inappropriate conversation that I could not have done alone. And since this show is built upon the premise of primarily being an audio blog and primarily being me doing it alone, it's really a great treat when there's other voices. I will have an audio clip, maybe more, on this show. And again, it's an opportunity to bring in other voices. Let me jump into the other feedback just by looking backward toward emails in the order that they were received and how I store them at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. This one goes back to episode number 90 for Moments of Epiphany. And it was Max who wrote in to say, Great episode. You were so raw when you sang that. Beautiful. One of those episodes I love this podcast for so much. I may have received commentary from Max before about the episode where I was referring to my sister and the different drummer. That episode was Tony Pucci talking about his sister. I'm not sure. The tone feels pretty similar in terms of kind of the response of saying, hey, Max telling me, don't hesitate to get emotional. Don't hesitate to lose it a little bit from time to time, because that's one of the ways that it kind of makes things real. And believe me, episode 90 was very real for me. I started storytelling in episodes 79, A Farewell Address from the Mountaintop, and 80, Revelation Weekend. And I sort of left things hanging there, especially at the end of 79. And It was episode 90, Moments of Epiphany, when I picked it back up and kind of went with it. So that was feedback that really helped me because when I try to sing something on any podcast, I know that I can carry a tune somewhat, but I can't carry a tune professionally. And it's always a worry, especially when I'm sharing the song because the song's emotional. There have been times where I've just shared lyrics, and a lot of the times when I do just share lyrics, it's because... I don't think I'm capable of delivering the song without having an emotional response to it. I received around that same time, maybe shortly thereafter, an email from somebody I'm just going to call Tracy. I won't identify any closer or any further than that, and I'll try to obscure some of the other references, because I've held on to this one for more than a year, because I wasn't sure how widely I should share it. Sometimes you get feedback and you wonder, hey, should I have just kept this to myself? And sometimes I do. Here's what Tracy said. I am a new listener subscriber to your podcast. I truly admire your intellect and your ability to articulate your beliefs and religious concepts. I was an agnostic throughout high school and recently have become a Christian due to certain personal experiences during my freshman year at college. I had certain convictions about the Christian religion in the past until I came across your podcast. I wanted to first thank you for all the words and it really has affected how I view Christianity. Secondly, I would like to have a chance to read your Christianity 201 article, Time for Solid Food, and other articles you have on your site. For some odd reason, I'm not able to see them on your website. When I click on the link, it sends me to this orange page. Is it possible for you to fix this or send me the information? Now, what I did with Tracy was I sent him the information or her the information directly. And that, I think, kind of took care of the, the need to be able to see the article. And I tried to address, to the best of my ability, the issue that I was having on the website. But part of the reason I chose to read this particular you know, feedback today was that I may still be having this issue. I've called myself a Luddite before, and that refers to someone who doesn't really adopt new technology all that well, either resists it or uh, only does just enough. And it's truthfully that that sort of mentality of mine, that fear of trying to overstep my skill set, that has kept this show pretty much in the audio blog format that it is. 
I will call and participate on Skype with others, but they're always doing the recording. Well, a while back, I decided that instead of just relying on the URL provided by Podbean, I am, by the way, still on Podbean. Inertia is one of the most powerful forces in the universe, by the way. I needed a website. I needed to have my own. And, and I decided that I would go in, you know, because I'd been doing this long enough, to kind of call it you know, a long-term project. I went ahead and got www.inappropriateconversations.org, and I'm not 100% sure I nailed it out of the park. I think if you just type in inappropriateconversations.org by itself, without the W's, it may or may not find and attach the Podbean URL instead. Because as we'll recall, anybody who's had Podbean before, or really interacted closely with Podbean podcast directly, it's just the http colon slash slash inappropriateconversations.podbean.com. And starting off with inappropriate conversations with no www's means that if you just type in inappropriate conversations, you never know what you're going to get. Well, typically, if you end up going through that Podbean route now, it sometimes routes you to that orange page. And to be honest, I sometimes see it, too, where I'm trying to look up a very old article or do an edit so I can copy some some text out of an old article and paste it into a new one. If I'm going to do a coming up next on inappropriate conversations type of a blog post, an introductory blog post, it's often easier to just you know steal the words from elsewhere on my site. And sometimes I get that orange page or, or even a not found. So please let me know if you're encountering that, especially if it's stopping you from interacting with the website in any way. Then I'll double down my efforts to try to get that resolved. As it is now, I just always lead with the W's, and it quickly finds me to the .org version. And by and large, I can function pretty well on the .org version. But to me, it would be a real crime if somebody who wanted to come and learn not just about inappropriate conversations, but also walk the earth couldn't get to Walk the Earth or to this article called Christianity 201 without being routed to some basically orange generic, really truthfully an error page, for want of a better word. So I'm thankful to Tracy for calling that out. If I've successfully addressed it, then credit has to go to the person writing in to give me feedback. I suppose I also should address the other piece of what Tracy wrote, and I'm you know thankful, uh, gratified in some ways that I've been able to play a role in helping someone out. But I do want to emphasize that I don't view inappropriate conversations as a tool of evangelism. I've mentioned before that I view it as a ministry. In fact, I talk about it in some detail in one of the blog posts that I put up. You can find those by looking at the website under the category articles. Anything that I put up as a blog post can be searched for and isolated from the podcast entries that way. But there's a line between saying, I'm trying to address things or correct things or even speak to a hurting world from time to time, sometimes intentionally, in this case perhaps, sometimes without my being really aware of it. But that's not necessarily the same thing as evangelism, and I wouldn't really want to confuse the two. Here's a point of view that I put up on the website. In response to episode 94, the missionary position is local. I put a comment there myself because I felt like I'd left something out that was important and it probably needed to be addressed. If it couldn't make the podcast, at least it could make the comments page. So is it biblical to support that some of the most outspoken Christians may be unwelcome in Christ's kingdom? What if they attended church every Sunday, recited the sinner's prayer, loudly and with precise, correct words? What if they voted in every election exactly like the politically active Christians and political action communities insisted that they do? 
Well, in Matthew 7, verses 17 to 27, Jesus said that many will tell him that they perform numerous miracles and deeds in his name, and he will say to them, I never knew you. So it goes. Likewise, I believe that Jesus knows the names of many people who have openly denied him during this short, aka lifetime, part of their existence. Jesus does not dispute this claim in scripture either. So if, face to face, he'll remind hateful people that calling themselves Christian does not make them part of his kingdom, I also believe that, face to face, he may remind others that they were part of his kingdom all along, whether they realized it or not. We can call that a piece of feedback from myself if we want to. If so, the feedback was based around the idea that I failed completely to cover everything I intended to cover in that episode. Episode 93 was the second episode devoted entirely to poetry. This one called Poetry Providing Perspective. And one of the things that I did in there is quote greetings from nowhere. And actually, if I remember, and depending on the length of this show, I may toss it in at the end again because I like it that much. Here's the feedback from Nicole. I am so behind on listening to podcasts that I just listened to number 93. Thank you so much for the beautiful shout-out on Greetings from Nowhere and the Poem Store. It really touched my heart, and I'm so glad that you enjoy the podcasts. I've really enjoyed yours, especially the call to keep speaking out about political and moral beliefs. If we stop talking, someone will fill the silence, and it may not be a healthy voice. So keep talking, we'll keep listening. Blessings, brother. Nicole. That feedback from Nicole, which came, again, more than a year ago, ties in directly to a conversation that I've been having online even just today, really, the day that I'm doing this recording. A little bit later than I planned, but here I am. I've been promoting on the Inappropriate Conversations Facebook page, and even talking about it a bit on Twitter, the Not All Like That Christians movement, the NALT Christians movement. And it's basically a way that Christians can speak into some of the negative things that other Christians do, not unlike the It Gets Better campaign. And the kickoff for this particular project did start with Dan Savage, who began It Gets Better, talking about how tired he was of hearing Christians whisper to him almost, oh, well, you know, we're not all like that. Well, he said, we know it's instead of whispering to me, why don't you tell the rest of Christianity? So the rest of Christianity has to deal with you saying, you're not all like that. I have not shot a video, not at the time of this recording anyway. Part of that is because shooting video is not necessarily my thing. And part of it is because I'm not exactly sure what I'd want to say. I want to be very careful to not make a, uh, here I am, I'm different, I'm not one of the bad type of people kind of video. It's not in my spirit to really try to separate that way. And the other end of it is I know that I need to not be silent on this issue, that this is an opportunity to speak to a different audience in a different way. So Nicole's right. It's important that Christians who are, well, not all like that, speak up and say something. So silence is not the answer, but I also believe that waiting to find the words is the answer. When it came to episode number 100, that was the episode where I named Richard Smith as a different drummer. There was an interesting and humorous miscommunication online about it, because I think that Richard thought that the natural thing to do for that would be to do an interview. And I'm happy to say that that interview has recently occurred. On the Tech Support Rich show, which is his podcast, uh, number seven, I was on that show and had a chance to talk with Rich, and it's available 
for purchase on Simply Everything at www.simplysyndicated.com. Of course, there's no need to purchase it if you're already a subscriber to Simply Everything, and that's certainly the way that I recommend that it go. But at one point, Richard sent me a note saying, hey, let me know when you're ready to do that recording for that show. I'm really looking forward to it. And I've got feedback to that extent that I've saved in this folder, humorously. It just turned out that that interview ultimately happened on Tech Support Rich and didn't happen in Inappropriate Conversations 100. Nevertheless, I do talk a little bit about Richard Smith and Simply Syndicated on that episode. It was really the first you know, big, long Inappropriate Conversations clip show that I've done. I got more feedback from Inappropriate Conversations 100 as well, the evolution of Pound IC or Hashtag IC, from Wilson. And I was really delighted to have heard from Wilson. He was responding in particular because of it being a walk down memory lane. Wilson, one of the people that I could have mentioned on the show, didn't, as people who I interacted with on that forum, exchanging ideas, thoughts about movies and other stuff. And, you know, you drift away a little bit. At some point, he spent more of his time on some other sites, and I'd catch word from what he thought here and there, but not as directly as for maybe the first year on that forum on Simply Syndicated. Here's what Wilson wrote to say. Just wanted to say your last episode, episode 100, was superb. As a longtime listener to both your podcast and Simply Syndicated in general, I really enjoyed your podcast detailing the evolution of inappropriate conversations. Keep up the good work. Wilson. This is one of those emails that truly made my day, not just for that day, but really for weeks, in fact, because it was a contact with somebody that, you know, was right there when I first got online and started interacting in a different way than I ever had before. Before joining this uh, forum on Simply Syndicated, I was a consumer. I was a reader. I was a surfer, but not really a participant. I wasn't putting anything online that I thought might be of value, at least for the moment, if not for longer than just a moment. Some of the feedback that I want to share today, at least one piece of it, is going to come from Facebook. And because the post was put out very publicly, and I think with an intention to offer some encouragement to me at a time when I was really kind of struggling. Now, I have never in the history of this show thought about chucking it, thought about calling it quits or putting a sunset timer on things. But I have had moments where I felt like, you know, it's just discouraging and this was the moment, really, when I was going through the beginnings of what is now the church search. So I was really kind of having a tough time, realizing that I was going to have to be changing churches at some point very soon. This was in April, I think, that I received this feedback on Facebook. And I didn't actually begin the church hunt until probably late May or June. But you know, I don't make decisions like this in a really spontaneous way. So clearly I was in the throes of... I've kind of come into terms with the really the death of that fellowship. But here's what Karen wrote in response to some things that maybe I'd put online, or maybe she just had a sense that it was time to say something and put it on my timeline. Those who know me, Karen said, know that I have some rather unpleasant experiences with Christians. Those experiences severely tainted my opinion, rather unfairly I understand now, of all people who claim to be followers of Christ. I'm working on that. I cannot in good faith expect others to extend me what I cannot extend to others. We are all in this sandbox together. We should learn to play nicely. Period. One of the people I look to as a perfect example of why one experience, or even 13 years of bad experiences, cannot and should not damn my viewpoint of all who call themselves Christians And this is this particular gentleman, Greg, the host of Inappropriate Conversations. He is also one of the most inspiring and intelligent people I know. 
I am honored to call him my friend. I am honored to share this link on my page. Even if you do not agree with the tenets of Christianity, and I admittedly find that I no longer do, listen to Greg. He opens up his heart and his mind in ways that will make you think, make you question, make you curious, make you disagree, and make you ache to engage him in one-on-one conversation. Make you that much more aware and hopeful that things might actually get better if we had only strived to be a little more accepting, even when we disagree. That's all I have to say. I personally hope this is not all that Karen has to say. By the time this show is released, by the time anyone's hearing it, Karen and I will have had what is our next face-to-face conversation. This is one of the real blessings that Simply Syndicated brought to me, was the fact that not only is it a joy to interact with people that I've lost track of, like Wilson, it's a joy to be able, in some cases, to be able to meet face-to-face with people who share this common interest. So I'm looking very forward, in the near future, to being able to sit down at a table once again with Karen, and with her beloved, and with my beloved, and enjoying the kind of fellowship that, frankly, you know, intelligent people ought to. I think perhaps Karen gives me too much credit, or at least doesn't take enough for herself. Because the reality is that I have spoken before about Simply Syndicated being a place where I have been able to sharpen my sword. I had languishing opinions for probably decades, certainly a decade, that weren't being exercised because they're really not welcome in the workplace. I had a perception that they weren't welcome in church either, but I've come to change that opinion. And part of the reason I've come to change that opinion is because of my interaction and fellowship with certain people online, Karen being a shining example of that. She shared with me the link to the Not All Like That Christians, uh, one of the videos. Not the first. I'd had it shared with me before. Uh, Nan of Secretly Timid, I think, mentioned it, or I mentioned it to her. Michelle from Dallas also was probably the first place I saw it was that Michelle shared it with me. But I'd begun to think lately that maybe the right answer is that the combination of where inappropriate conversations and walk the earth meet, and maybe it's time I stopped and, and played some feedback about walk the earth right here, but the places where these two podcasts meet are on this idea of saying, how is it possible to be a fully functioning human being, loving Jesus with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and the mind part of it meaning engaging in thought, dealing with others, the heart part of it being willing to love your neighbor, willing to take the chance of being rejected because somebody who's been traumatized by Christianity in the past is not going to let that happen to them again. There's always a risk when you engage in interpersonal contact. I think I mentioned that actually on Inappropriate Conversations 80, Revelation Weekend. There's always a certain kamikaze spirit involved in getting to know somebody that you don't know well. There's a chance that either one or both parties take to make that happen. But from what I've learned from those encounters, I think it's about time that, frankly, Christians, and I'm in a unique position to do this because I'm doing a church hunt. I have churches who are sending me letters saying, thanks for visiting. And I have a chance to say, hey, I need to understand, before I make any sort of commitment to join another church, what is your position on homosexuals in the church? Not just will you allow them to be members. That's the kind of condescending language I'm going to be looking for. But members in full. I've heard of churches before who make a very big deal about how open they are. And they're open to having homosexuals come to worship with them. Or maybe even allowing homosexuals to join the church. 
but they're not allowed to read scripture on worship Sundays. They're not allowed to sing in the choir. Or they certainly can't take the risk, quote-unquote, of them teaching a Sunday school class. So, no, I'm going to be asking the question, as Walk the Earth kind of reaches its next stage in perhaps the next calendar year, I don't know how long it'll take me before I'm ready to start interrogating pastors, so to speak. But those questions are going to come up, because I do not want to align myself and financially support an institution that continues to propagate this idea that Jesus didn't mean everybody when he said neighbors. That Jesus wasn't talking about homosexuals when he talked about people who were marginalized in society. Jesus is an amazing figure in the New Testament. And some of the information is a little bit skewed, a little bit obscured. I'm not going to say hidden. It's not secret in any way. It's right there in the text. But Jesus is using terms like some people are born that way in Matthew 19. In Matthew 25, he lays out a very clear course that says, hey, if you're abusing people that you consider to be minorities or you know, less than you in some meaningful way, you have no place in my kingdom. You are not the sheep. You are the goats. And we should take those words a little bit more seriously. I have found from my interactions with people like Karen that taking those words more seriously means that the next time I join a church, I'm going to get some answers to some very pointed questions. And I'm anticipating that the answers to those questions may help me weed out churches that I'm going to regret being a part of if I don't find out the information right up front. You know, how bad would I feel if I was giving money to somebody who was offering crisis pregnancy intervention only to find out that less than half the money actually goes to taking care of people who've been kicked out of their home for being pregnant out of wedlock as a teenager, and most of it is going to fund groups like Operation Rescue. I would find that to be the single most regrettable expense of my entire lifetime if that were to happen. And the only way you can prevent it from happening is to ask the question first. So thank you to Karen for encouraging me to ask questions like this first, before I finish walking the earth, and at some point, join a new community of faith. Here's some other feedback from Walk the Earth. This coming from Nicole, who we've heard from recently in a feedback email, and Christina talking about this new podcast. His most recent inappropriate conversations, he actually has snippets of this show, and I haven't listened yet. I haven't listened so to it yet either. I don't know what either. it's all about, but I'm planning on listening. It's part of my tra- – It's I'm saving it. It's part of my traveling on the plane to Vegas uh, listening. Very cool. Um, but I have it downloaded, and he's pulled snippets from a bunch of podcasts. So Very nice. I can't wait to hear it. So please go listen to Greg at Inappropriate Conversations. He's also doing another podcast called Walk the Earth. Walk the Earth. Which is mm-hmm. fascinating. It is very interesting. It's, it's about, um, I want to, I don't want this to sound dull because mm-hmm. it's really not. It's about, it's not. He, he and his wife are looking for a church home right now. Like, they're looking for a church. They're actively looking for a new yeah. place to go. Mm-hmm. Cause- and so it's, it's all about that journey. And he goes into, you know, philosophical concepts about it, him as a Christian and what it means. What does the church actually, it, does the building mean anything, you know, mm-hmm. or is it, it's just about the people most, you know, more like that and just kind of about his journey. So I'm really, really enjoying it. As someone who doesn't attend church, I, I'm finding it fascinating. Just cool. the, I never realized what went into finding a place. Like I mm-hmm. just assumed you just stick with where you went when you were a kid. 
And if, right. you, if you don't live where you were when you were a kid, you find the closest, you know, you find whatever. You find the well, same denomination. Yeah, and the you same go. denomination. Yeah. It's like, well, I was Pentecostal, so here's the Pentecostal church. I'm going to this uh-huh. one. And I didn't realize that there's a lot more that goes into it then. Yeah. Especially when the tough part is that you're the church you quote always attended or the denomination you've always attended no longer rings true in what they believe. Right. So that makes it a completely different kind of search as well. That's kind so. of wild. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see how that goes. If it wasn't cheating a little bit offering feedback that was my own commentary to an episode that I left a crucial point out on on the website, this is surely cheating. But I feel like In some ways, I can make the claim that Wendy Davis, a Texas state senator, did send some feedback to me. I know it was a form letter that the Dear Greg is probably just the only part of it that's customized. But after her, you know, 20 plus hour filibuster, she wrote a response thanking people who had stopped to send her not just words of encouragement, but in some ways parts of their own story information that could be used to help her to, to, in essence, fuel the filibuster. And it started off with, wow, what a day. I can't believe the amazing outpouring of support and encouragement that you delivered over the course of my 12 and a half hour filibuster on the Senate floor. 12 and a half hours, not 20. (laughs) This may seem hard to believe, but I only had a few additional words to share at this time. First, I want to say an incredible and heartfelt thank you to the tens of thousands of Texans and Americans that offered their support and wishes of kindness throughout the day. Your presence at the Capitol and your calls, emails, Facebook messages, and tweets have sustained us and given, gave me the opportunity to make your voice heard. And that's where I kind of attached to it. I did send her the only story I have. I have never been involved in abortion in any meaningful way. I've never gotten anybody pregnant. I've never had to make that kind of call. I don't have any relatives that I'm aware of who've had an abortion. But I did share, again, the one story that I'm aware of. The only time in my life that I can think of that anybody's ever asked me what they should do with a very troubled and troubling pregnancy. So when Wendy sends this form letter out saying, although I was the one with the microphone on the floor on the Senate today, it was your voice and your words. It was your filibuster. Well, pardon me if I cheat a little bit and take that piece of feedback personally. I wrote in and responded, essentially as Greg from Inappropriate Conversations. The reason that I'm doing this show today, the reason that I decided that after more than a year, I absolutely positively had to do a feedback show, came from Rick from Starbase 66. I'm just going to share his feedback because it was this email that led me to say, hey, it's time. In fact, it's past time. Hey, Greg, I have to be honest and tell you that I don't always make it all the way through some IC episodes. Not though, not through any fault of yours, but you often lose me when you get too deeply into the religious, and especially scriptural parts of the show. But I just finished listening to 126, and I think it was one of, if not the best shows you've done. Sadly, however, I think you missed one of the strongest reasons the abortion birth control debate rages on. The people in power know that a well-informed electorate is far less easily controlled. And having more poor and poorly educated people out there means they get to keep on doing whatever they and their corporate masters want. Maybe I'm being too cynical, but most of what I see coming from the religious right these days seems to be less about godliness and more about control and obfuscation. Anyway, that's just my two shekels. 
Despite my opening sentence, I love your show, and I think you're doing a very important thing with it. P.S. Gotta get you back on the Starbase sometime soon. I wrote him back to say, hey, first off, I totally agree. Gotta find a way to get back on the Starbase at some point. And the other thing I shared with him was, hey, I, I know that there's some people who come to the show Inappropriate Conversations from a very secular perspective, interested in the political content, and probably get bogged down in the religious angle. But I also know there's probably some people who come to the show because they know I'm a Christian and I'm speaking as a Christian and get bogged down in the political content instead. That that's just the nature of the beast. That there's a, a sort again, sort of a Venn diagram where there's only a subset of the audience that is actually in play for the whole thing. I totally get that. It's really one of the reasons that I make a point to isolate and emphasize the different drummer. The category sections uh, on the Inappropriate Conversations website don't call out anything about the shows or the show topics. I don't feel like it's possible for me to actually isolate the show itself and say, hey, this was an episode that was about X, Y, or Z. Because to me, the real thing that the show tends to be about is beyond categorization. It's mixing it up. That's the idea. Let's combine these things. Let's get the let's get these divergent ideas together and deal with them collectively. But I usually do try to call out from a category perspective who the different drummer is. Is this week's going to be a musician or a theologian or in the case of this week's show, an author and screenwriter? That's that's the the shorthand there is can I at least help people who are interested in the different drummer segment find their way around through all the other content in the shows. Speaking of a different drummer, and can the different drummer be the emphasis? Can Are there inappropriate conversations where the different drummer segment is more important than the rest? I believe that's true, and I think it's true because of feedback that I got from Allison Downing, a former different drummer. In fact, I think probably from the 10th or 11th episode, so going well, well back into the past. She gave me feedback on the episode, the same episode, I believe, that Rick was talking about, where Nancy Griffith was the different drummer. Allison wrote this. I've just finished listening to the latest episode of Inappropriate Conversations, and I have to confess I started getting excited when Greg started talking about Nancy Griffith's More Than a Whisper. And then I just melted when he talked about listening to it because of my emotional connection to that song. I bloody love you, Greg. That's a, you know, obviously I've divulged the location of somewhere in the United Kingdom there, or Australia, but in this case, United Kingdom. But you know what? The thing about inappropriate conversations, and to me, the power that I draw from it as a speaker kind of on the show is that it gives me the opportunity to be incredibly honest. And More Than a Whisper was not a song that was anywhere near my MP3 player when I first jumped online years ago to listen, you know, to interact with people on Simply Syndicated's forum. And as I relate in that, in that episode, that is the reason that I connect with it. To me, the music is the soundtrack of your life. And if it goes well, it's incredibly powerfully positive. And if it goes badly, it's a real downer. This was an example of it going particularly well. I want to end the feedback portion of this show with the most recent feedback I've received. This from Janet of Christians Tired of Being Misrepresented, uh, dealing with her response to the Different Drummer segment in episode 128, Proud to Know You. Hi, Greg. Sorry for such a late response. My husband and I were on vacation. You did a great job on the podcast. Thank you for highlighting Christians tired of being misrepresented and respecting my request to keep my identity private. My husband and I took a Facebook tour, as it was dubbed. We specifically took a trip to meet our Facebook friends that we hadn't met in person. 
We met Charles Toy from the Christian left and Guy Lynch from the Practical Christian. Needless to say, my identity is probably out of the closet now. As you can see on this link, she shared a link with me that her, her friends posted on the page how happy they were that they'd, you know, met her. So there she is uh, in pictures and probably with pictures and tagging. So far, I haven't received any hate mail or threats, and that's good. Anyway, I wanted to let you know that I did listen and that you did a great job. I'm going to think about taking your podcast and putting it on the CTOBM blog, which Janet actually did, and I've shared on social media, hopefully enough that people have caught on to it. Many have asked me how I started CTOBM and what it was that changed my heart. I've been at a loss for words, but I think your podcast provides a great summary of it. Thank you for taking the time that you did to contact me and highlight the page. She also mentions that it was sort of strange hearing her typed words spoken out loud, and I think that a lot of my friends can probably sympathize or agree with her because that's what I've been doing on you know this entire show, sharing those sort of typed words spoken out loud. I am totally on board with the idea of being on a Facebook tour. In many ways, it ties directly to some of the things that I've done in years past and that I intend to do this week in terms of meeting people in person that I've met online. Now, this week's an easy one for me. I'm meeting people again that I've met online. But I am also looking forward to perhaps the concept of getting a chance to meet some people that I haven't met before that I've you know interacted with online, either because I listen to their podcast or I follow them in one respect or another on Facebook or Twitter. To me, this is one of the things that is a dynamic that's unique to the generation we're in. It wasn't possible to have this kind of decision of to go on a Facebook tour or not, or to meet people that uh, in real life that you only know online. It wasn't a decision that was possible when I was a kid. This is just one more side effect of the way we're all connected to each other and the way we communicate online. Thank you for the feedback. No reason to stop now. Any uh, comments or points that come back from this point forward, I'll certainly respond via email if that's the way I get them, or... Maybe I won't wait another year or two to do another points and questions. This notion of your P's and Q's, part three, implies that there should be at some future point a part four. Do you love Star Trek? How about a good scary movie? Do sexy warrior princesses haunt your dreams? Then you'll love Starbase 66, the international Star Trek horror and fantasy podcast. Join Rick, Karen, and Kennedy each week as they discuss your favorite and not-so-favorite movies and TV shows only on the Simply Syndicated 21st Century Media Network. Why, hello there, Trek fans. This is Susie Flaxen, former Vulcan, half-Klingon, Lady Q, and nasty Andorian. I've rather recently written and recorded an audiobook ebook called The Return of King Lillian. It's a metaphysical fantasy for dreamers and nonconformists of all ages, and I'd like to invite you to check it out. Some have said it's a little like Alice in Wonderland meets Sword in the Stone. It's a fast read, it's a leisurely listen, and it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Audible, and at www.kinglillian.com, where you can listen to and read some excerpts. That's The Return of King Lillian. Thanks so much, everybody. Here's wishing you the happiest of trails and the sweetest of dreams. I'm going to introduce the different drummer today with a little tidbit about me that is probably trivial and unimportant, but hey, it's a P&Q show, so why not? I've played more than a dozen, probably more than 20 different intro and outro musical clips to introduce different drummer segments, and very rarely is there a moment where that doesn't feature drum 
pretty prominently. It's the idea. I'm going to introduce the different drummer with drum music. My absolute favorite clip of all the drum music that I use in different drummers is this one from Kevin McLeod off his website in Competech.com called iTech. take advantage of the opportunity to make a somewhat seamless segue talking about Starbase 66 the podcast I want to refer to episode 15 the works of Richard Matheson actually the very first episode that was broadcast through simplysyndicated.com I'm not here to talk about simply syndicated again though I want to talk about Richard Matheson it made me very sad earlier this year when I heard that Richard Matheson had died June 23rd 2013 it occurred to me when I was thinking about it that I've given this man far insufficient praise and that if you watch some of the things that I talk about particularly with TV and movies it is clear that my esteem for Richard Matheson probably could not be higher that on some level he is among my favorite science fiction and horror authors and I'll get more into that in just a moment I got to thinking about, well, should I have mentioned him as a different drummer before? And the answer was, you know what, Richard Matheson would have been a perfect different drummer for any one of the Halloween episodes I've done in the past. Having said that, the first time I focused on Halloween as a topic, I dealt with Edgar Allan Poe, and now that probably is my favorite author of this particular kind of genre fiction. And the second time, I think I really nailed it in terms of picking the exact right different drummer from a musical perspective to go with some of the movies I wanted to discuss. And I'm not going to wait two or three more weeks for another Halloween episode. I'm going to talk about Richard Matheson right here and right now. And I consider it really to be the first opportunity I've got to speak to him where either he fits in with the topic or in the case of a points and questions show, there's no real topical theme that he needs to tie into one way or the other. I would encourage anybody who's interested to go back and listen to that Starbase 66 episode, number 15. It is available at Simply Syndicated, because Simply Everything is included, among other things, expanding the palette and and trying to put on the website a full breadth of all the shows that the website has had over the years. But I really want to speak about Matheson from a very narrow perspective, and I'm going to do it literally looking at the years 1971 to 1975. I want to talk about his career from a five-year span. And if you've noticed lately, I've been doing that more and more often, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally, with different drummers. Last week, for example, I spoke about Steve Reich and really only discussed a couple of his works very very early on in his career. And here, probably right in what we call maybe the middle of Matheson's career, but I'm not sure that much more needs to be said after all the beautiful tributes and obituaries that have been written in the last few weeks and months about the early part of his career, and particularly his contributions to The Twilight Zone. He was a prolific and generous screenwriter, and The Twilight Zone benefited perhaps as much as any other show from his work. I could go to later in his career. For a lot of people, Richard Matheson is probably known for the many adaptations of I Am Legend, including the one most recently that, in a rare turn of form, actually uses the name of his book as the name of the movie. This doesn't indicate that the plot of that particular screenplay follows the plot of his book better than any of the others, because, yeah, it may not be true. 
But at least I Am Legend, in this case, is called I Am Legend, rather than simply being called the Omega Man or the Last Man on Earth or something else. Now, Matheson, later in his career, is known for film. And just to name a few of them that have come out here maybe since the 80s, uh, Somewhere in Time, Stir of Echoes, What Dreams May Come. These are the kind of things that, if you think of movies and Matheson, probably are the connection that people make. You put those together with, of course, I Am Legend in all of its different incarnations. But primarily, I think of Matheson as being a short story author. Being a short story writer ties in well with his contributions to The Twilight Zone. And both the original version of The Twilight Zone and other uh, you know, reincarnations of the show over the years. He also contributed a couple of stories to Night Gallery, which was you know, an episodic sort of TV, an anthology TV series that came out sort of in between the original Twilight Zone and Twilight Zone's returns in multiple form. And that falls into this zone I'm talking about, where I was a kid, maybe not yet 10 years old, watching shows that I thought were cool, science fiction, horror, uh, even some drama, adventure-type drama. And I didn't realize at the time, because I was just a kid, how much of an influence Matheson had upon that particular genre, and how often what I was taking in and enjoying was his work. When you think about it, if you look back on previous inappropriate conversations, where I talk about made-for-TV movies, or praise uh, Gerald Friedman for his work A Cold Night's Death on more than one occasion, that's exactly the kind of filmmaking I'm talking about. Made for TV, limited budget, a screenplay's got to be tight, and it's got to be good in order to make that work. Because most television shows trade in on what you've learned from the past about the characters. That a TV show can take advantage of cutting corners with characterization and, and even character development, or even plot development. Because we already know exactly what Chandler and Monica are going to do, so that you don't necessarily have to reestablish every time you hit a sitcom what's going to happen in Friends. Some of it is you know, written from previous episodes, handed down from the legacy of previous seasons and previous shows. With a made-for-TV movie, or with an anthology-type series, where you're always meeting new characters and having you know, new characterization presented to you, the screenplay's got to be outstanding. Roger Corman, who's perhaps the best example of somebody working on a tight budget and a low budget and delivering great results from for the TV genre and for the B-movie genre, truthfully, called Matheson the best screenwriter he ever worked with, that he knew if he was getting a screenplay from Matheson, it was ready to shoot, and not just ready to shoot in principle, not that it just didn't need a script doctor, but ready to shoot Corman style. Now that's a big deal. Let me walk you through the career of Matheson as a screenplay writer, as a story contributor, as a teleplay writer, as a TV show developer. What was he doing in these years between 1971 and 1975? And again, if you've listened to the inappropriate conversations where Dan Carlin was the different drummer, I talk a lot about made-for-TV movies and my esteem for the ABC movie of the week. And as I go through this list, there's a lot of movie of the week here that I think Matheson personally single-handedly in some ways, elevated the genre to heights that perhaps it would have been diminished overall if his contributions were taken away. 1971 begins with one of his theatrical versions of the I Am Legend novel, The Omega Man, this being the one with Charlton Heston in it. But that same year, something really exciting happened on ABC TV, Duel. 
a then unknown director named Steven Spielberg took just a screenplay from a short story by Matheson and put it on the television screen in a way that I think solidified ABC's movie of the week as you know, maybe not must-see TV, but really good-to-see TV, an adventure story starring Dennis Weaver and a truck. 1972, he contributed a couple of stories to episodes of Rod Serling's Night Gallery. Again, this is the project that Serling did after and between incarnations of The Twilight Zone. The TV show, The Night Stalker, you know, the Kolchak, the Night Stalker uh, reporter who's finding supernatural stories every time he goes out on the beat to do his work, well, it started off as a made-for-TV movie. And Matheson was the teleplay writer for The Night Stalker and was the writer behind the story of The Night Strangler, which came out in 1973. Both of these Kolchak stories and Kolchak stories written around that character before that character had his own TV show. For me, 1973 is all about Circle of Fear. So I'll skip Circle of Fear for just a moment and just quickly call out the rest of his contributions to um, screenplays during the, during the time between 73 and 75. The Legend of Hell House, Dying Room Only, Scream of the Wolf, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Morning After, Someone is Bleeding, The Stranger Within, and Trilogy of Terror. That's right. In 1975... The Zulu doll coming to life and trying to stab Karen Black to death, that's Matheson, as were the other two stories in the Trilogy of Terror. The year before, Barbara Eden appeared in The Stranger Within, a TV movie that steals more than just a bit of its vibe from Rosemary's Baby, if not you know, the story per se. And the one I want to cite the most is The Morning After. I've called it out before. I guess I have this superstitious idea that if I keep talking about it, Maybe it will come out on DVD, or at least streaming. Somebody has to have the rights to this made-for-TV movie starring Dick Van Dyke and Lynn Carlin. Now, unlike a lot of the other movies made during this time and other shows that I talked about from Matheson's perspective, this one was not a scary movie in the sense of dealing with werewolves and vampires. This was a scary movie in the sense of dealing very seriously and very directly with alcoholism. Starring Dick Van Dyke, who at the time, and perhaps even now, we wouldn't expect to be an Emmy-nominated or perhaps even winning star in a dramatic role about his life completely falling apart as he drifted into alcoholism and didn't manage his dependency and its physical impact on him particularly well. The Morning After is right up at the top of the made-for-TV movies from my childhood that I want to see again, because when I was a child, I was too young to understand it. Now, Matheson, in the early 1970s, was making works that were directed to me as a child. I was the target audience for the TV series called Ghost Story, and later, when I encountered it, called Circle of Fear. It had a 22-episode run between 1972 and 1973, so pretty much just one season. It's an hour-long show, with you know finding that line where maybe Twilight Zone meets Night Gallery meets um, Tales from the Crypt. All of them were essentially horror stories or monster stories or occult stories in one degree or another. But all of them also had that sort of, you know, Rod Serling type of twist that, as we've learned before, a lot of those Rod Serling twists and Alfred Hitchcock Hour twists came from writers like Richard Matheson. My favorite episodes, he's not cited necessarily as a screenwriter per se, but as a writer-developer. And if you ever get the chance to watch episodes of Circle of Fear or 
Ghost Story, as it was originally called, the episodes I would refer to are back-to-back episodes, Doorway to Death and Earth, Air, Fire, and Water, but also Death's Head. I want more credit to be given to a short story writer willing to turn his short stories into short screenplays and contributing not just as an author, but also as a show developer to try to get these ideas on the air. Richard Matheson, I realized the day I read his obituary, has not gotten anywhere near the credit that he deserves. If he can't have that credit during his lifetime, even though he's not like he was completely unknown or disrespected, but he deserves much more credit, perhaps after death. Appropriate conversations can be found on Stitcher.com. Stitcher is the smarter way to listen to radio, but specifically for me, it's a smart way to listen to podcasts. Anywhere you've got yourself a Wi-Fi signal, you can listen to any of the shows that are available on Stitcher, and most of the shows that I enjoy on a regular basis, or at least those that aren't on Simply Syndicated, I enjoy through Stitcher. And of course, if you consider Simply Syndicated being available to stream through their own site, Simply Everything... Most of the shows that I love most are available to stream anywhere I go, and part of that is due to Stitcher.com. If you've got some feedback you'd like to to provide at this time, I'll be taking it, as always, at inappropriateconversations.org. Comments are enabled with the show notes there. You can send me an email at ic underscore greg at hotmail.com, or look for me on social media, both Facebook and Twitter. And thanks for listening. Here's your poem. The Joining Hearts connect, they say, and love blooms. But deeper yet is that connection sans romance, beyond romance, where a single soul recognizes another, and an understanding, a tenuous joining, makes itself without permission. 
Love as deep as a soul starts popping up like daisies, unbidden yet unstoppable because, yes, I get you, and you get me. Joined by God, by design, or chaos, friendship wild as the sea beckons us to dive in.